Hey, I'm Dave, and you're listening to another episode of Dying to Listen podcast presented by the Disc Golf Dyers Guild. So, today we have Brendan from Spike Heiser Dies. I don't know why I like to say it like that, but it's a cool name. Brendan, thank you for joining us. Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me. All right, so we'll jump right in, and I'm going to ask the question that I always ask everybody. Do you play disc golf? I think I might have played once or twice. Fantastic. Again, I don't know why I asked that question, because I'm assuming all dyers play disc golf. If you're a dyer and don't play disc golf, let me know, because I want to know why. Uh, what got you into disc golf? Uh, so after I left for college, uh, when I would come back in the summertime, my first youngest brother and I would come up with some kind of activity to do, and it would basically become our obsession for the 10 weeks that I was home. Uh, so I think after my third year, you know, we had exhausted bowling and uh, shoot pool, and we were walking through dicks, and I think we happened to peruse through the disc section and we're like, Oh, we could do this. You know, we both played high school golf, you know, so we were familiar with the objective of the game and it couldn't be as frustrating as real golf. Right. <laughs> so we did what everybody does to start and picked our favorite looking disc. You know, the one with the coolest name, you know, so I grabbed a Wraith off the shelf and you know exactly how that went. That's a great name. Not the best first disc. No, I could I could think of one or seven hundred better ones. <laughs> uh, what year did you start playing disc golf? Well, technically, I think that was somewhere in the twenty fourteen to twenty fifteen area. Uh, but we really, because we didn't know, we didn't want to show show up to a course and look like fools. Uh, we would go to the local elementary school and basically make our own object courses for a while. And that got us through that summer. Uh, but I would say if people ask me when I started playing, I'd say probably three years ago was when I actually picked it up and had the intent to try to get better. Uh, what made you pick it up again and get, uh, and try to get better? Uh, so the town that I live in now is not the town that I'm initially from. And the first couple guys that I made friends with were pretty avid at playing. And eventually they, they dragged me out to league one day. And I was like, oh, yeah, I, I, I can do this. I come out once a week and, you know, throw some frisbees. It was nice to, it was a nice change of pace to like a regular workout. You know, it was, it was different. It was a way to get out of the house and get some fresh air and, and just kind of caught fire. That's awesome. Um, do you still have your first disc? My first disc, that Wraith? No, I threw that Wraith on top of the roof of the local high school. <laughs> I had that disc for about three weeks. Well, um, probably for the best, I think. Uh, what did you get after that? Do you remember? It was a champion Daedalus. Okay. Because I couldn't throw the Wraith, so I, I did a little Googling trying to understand what the flight numbers were. Little did I know they're imaginary. <laughs> Facts. So, um, I saw that that third number was turn, which means that that makes the disc go farther. So the Daedalus had a negative three turn on it. So I was like, oh, this one, this one's better. It was not much better. <laughs> uh, a for effort, at least. Um, but that's how you learn is you make mistakes. So 
What got you into disc dyeing then? I'd like to say I started a couple weeks before the rest of the, the, the COVID boom. But I may be wrong. I, I think you can kind of group me in there with everybody else. Uh, I've got, I guess, kind of an artistic background. You know, uh, occupationally, I'm an architect. You know, so I've got kind of design in my everyday life. You know, and my, my current obsession at the time was disc golf. So how could I bring and kind of bridge the two and bring art to disc golf? And I, I was scrolling through Instagram, I think, and I had seen a disc die. I wasn't following any disc dyers at the time because I didn't know it existed. And I guess it just happened to come up in the, the discovery portion. You know, you may like, I guess I was following enough of the end of a pros. And I saw a guy do some cool stuff. And I reached out to him and had him die a couple discs for me. And they came in. And I was like, you know, I can do this. And that's kind of how it started. Do you remember who that guy was? Yes. Uh, his name is Chris. And I believe his Instagram is uh, Glow Butter Disc Dies. Okay. Glow Butter Discs. So I was stalking your Instagram. Um, the earliest post that I could find was uh, 2021. Yeah, the Instagram did not happen until afterwards. Gotcha. I think I had seen all the disc golf stuff from my personal Instagram. And then I wanted to, I tried to at least get okay enough that what I put up there wasn't too incriminating. <laughs> I was trying to find like your incriminating stuff. Damn it. Yeah, that's a very special folder on my computer. <laughs> Um, do you remember the first disc that you died? Yes, it was the PDGA, uh, player disc. You know, when you sign up to get your PDGA number, you know, that year it was a gold line Explorer with the, with the tree on it. And that was the first one. So kind of interesting that the first disc I was given was the first disc that I died. Do you remember what you did for a die on that disc? Uh, it was an attempt at a shaving cream bed. Yeah. Uh, I bought some eye dye poly and bought some shaving cream and very quickly learned that with shaving cream and eye dye poly, less is more. Yes. Um, no, I know that feeling. It's like, I don't see a lot of dye in here. I'm just going to dump it all on. Exactly. So basically what I ended up with was almost a purple hot dip. <laughs> there were some purples and blues and turquoise, and it just basically turned out purple. Well, you know, better than nothing. Did you do a shaving cream mound or did you do a, a flat shaving cream? Bed? It was a, it was a flat bed. I did mm. the, the first couple that I did were flat. And then I tried the mounds and realized I liked the mounds a whole lot better. Do you remember the second, third and fourth discs that you died? Yeah. Unfortunately, I do. <laughs> okay. What were they? So the, the fact that the first one was so purple, I tried to tone it down and switched and bought some red. I was like, oh, red will be good. Well, red is an animal. I <laughs> dye red specifically is, yeah. is a beast. So the next two that I did were some, uh, they were a pair of star Mako 3s that I bought because at this point I knew what, what the kind of discs were you're supposed to throw. So I had a pair of those 
and I dyed them up and they weren't great they probably weren't good they were serviceable you know and they were uh, they were what they were we'll just we'll just leave it at that and uh, I happened to have them out on the course one day and I wasn't throwing them well so obviously it was the disc's fault and one of the guys that was in the parking lot getting ready to play as I was packing up uh, saw them kind of in the in the trunk of the car and he was like well, I'll, I'll buy those off of you those are cool and that's where the itch started I was like oh people will buy this uh, that is awesome that you had that experience it's like uh, yeah <laughs> yeah it's like with the round I just had I was going to throw this in the lake <laughs> Uh, I mean, were you happy with those dies at the time? At the time I was. If I look back on them, uh, maybe not so much, but as you probably know, there wasn't quite as many resources available at that time as there are now. Yeah. I see some of the first beds that people are pulling out now and it's, it took me quite a few months to get there. Yeah, it was definitely hard to find information um, just even a few years ago. In the beginning, where did you find your information? So I found a little bit here and there. Uh, I think the first place I ever saw a comment about it was Disc Golf Course Review. And then I think I stumbled upon uh, the Disc Dying subreddit. just enough to know what materials I needed. And I think that's, that's what hooked me was more so the science part of understanding the process over the art aspect of the result. Interesting. So there were, there were some beds that I had more fun making. I had more fun learning how to make the bed, you know, learning the ratios, you know, learning different things like that than caring what the disc looked like when, when it, uh, when it got pulled. That's awesome. Actually, maybe a little opposite of most people. That's perfectly fine. Um, how long have you, how long did you do those shaving cream beds? And what was the next dye method that you did? Okay. So I think I spent about two months doing shaving cream beds. It might've been a dozen discs, maybe 20 and then I moved on to lotion because I heard somebody mention lotion and I was like, Oh, it's going to be the same thing. It's just not shaving cream. So I tried to apply, you know, all of the same, uh, ideas I had for shaving cream to lotion and for lotion, less is not more. So we took one step forward and a couple steps back there nice. and I had some, pretty awful results and just in general kind of had an awful time with the lotion that lasted for about three discs. Basically one, once I got, got finished with the first bottle of the cocoa butter, I was like, I don't think lotions for me. And what did you do after lotion? From lotion, we went to white glue mm -hmm. because I heard, I heard that glue was glue was a fun one to use. You know, so I was kind of following the paper trail coming down the rabbit hole. And I went to the store and I was like, oh, the white glue is half the price. It's going to work. And it worked for a little while. 
I was using the white, doing white glue beds for a couple months. You know, to the point where I was, I was selling a couple of white glue beds. I hadn't really sold any of the other stuff up to now. You know, white glue was when I started to get confident enough to, hey, maybe somebody will want this one. Nice. I've, um, I've never done a white glue bed. Is it similar to like lotion in a way? In a way, I would say it's probably closer to clear glue in the way that medium behaves for the most part. But, you know, you lose a lot of definition. Uh, so if you want more of like an ethereal kind of spacey pastel look, you can get that with white glue. You know, I don't know. I would assume it has to do with the density of the glue itself, you know, and how the dye mixture stays relative to the surface. You know, I think the, the clear glue kind of demands that dye to stay on the surface. Whereas the white glue was let it kind of slip down below and you weren't getting a lot of that saturation. So after your white glue, what was your next method? From then it was clear glue. I was like, well, the, the glue's not working quite like I want, but I don't know. At this point, I figured it was just me. Yeah. You know, I had run through all the methods that I knew were possible. And I was at, the, I was at Walmart and they had the half gallon of the clear glue. So I was like, well, okay, so that one's, I'm, I'm clearly good at getting less, but it's less enough that I'll try it once or twice. And I made that first clear glue bed. And I was like, this is the stuff. This is, this is me. Uh, what other methods have you tried? I have tried just about everything. I don't think there's anything I haven't tried. No, I don't think so. Uh, other than maybe like, like true hand painting. I'm not artistic in the, in the sense of, you know, being able to like freehand paint. Like some of these guys do. Those are, those are crazy. I love watching, you know, watching the, the videos of those or seeing the results of those. Cause that's just something I don't think I have in me. Yeah. It's, uh, definitely takes some artistic ability and, um, above my skill and pay grade. So yeah, you yeah. and me both. <laughs> So you've tried all these methods. What is your favorite one to do? Okay. So I would say my favorite style is probably spin dies. I find spin dies to be cathartic. And I think with the exception of the hand painting that I just mentioned, I think spin dies take some of the most technical skill to execute well what got you into spin dyeing i think it started uh when i would pull a glue bed and there was a part of the rim that was just white it was blank you know it was kind of a mistake i was like how can i how can i fix that so i was doing some googling and i don't remember who it was i saw that was kind of spinning the edge so I was like, okay, that's, that's a good way to kind of frame the picture, you know, frame your piece of artwork. So it started with that. And then I would have to say I came across Andy Dies. And he's out of Europe. I can never remember which country in Europe. But I saw his work and it was just, to this day, it's probably one of my favorite 
favorite things to look at are the spin dies he comes up with. And I just loved how you could slightly play with kind of the proportions of one color to another color to the white space, you know, in the stamp. What mixtures do you use for your spin dies? So most of what I use is a mixture of acetone and the powdered dye. Uh, I do have in some of my most used colors or the colors that I like to blend the most, I do have a denatured alcohol and powdered dye mix. What are your favorite slash most used colors? Hmm. That's a good question. Caribbean blue is a big one from ProChem. It's a big one. It's, it's, it requires a lot of patience with the spin dyeing, lots and lots of layers. Uh, I've actually started to gravitate towards sonic blue instead because I don't have that patience most nights and I can get a kind of similar color with, with less on, less on the applicator. So that one's a good one. Uh, I love blood red. That's, that's probably one of my favorite reds. That one and cherry are pretty awesome. Uh, I've used a ton of pansy, that purple, that's a good one. Uh, and of course, a staple's got to be neon lemon zest. What do you what use to apply the dye to the disc? I am a big Q-tip guy for the most part. So I have got, you know, your regular Q-tips that you use for the eargasms when you get out of the shower. <laughs> and then I've got some kind of nail applicator uh, Q-tips that come, they have like a cone shape to them. They come to a point. So you can get a little more of a fine line out of them. You know, Q-tip makes some originally that I found, you know, at the store. And I was like, oh, these will be perfect. And sometimes they were good. Sometimes they weren't. But then I found some on Amazon that have a real nice fine point to them. And what's nice about them is you can use them. And you can use them probably for a couple of days until they really start to dry out and get crusty. And then you just toss it. And I don't feel bad. As opposed to if I forget to clean out this brush, you know, and the acetone degrades the bristles, and then I got to buy a new one. Yeah. Um, how much dye at a time do you put on the Q-tip? Um, is it a lot, or do you try to squeegee it out as much as you can? For the most part, I try to go with less. You know, the I try to find that sweet spot of enough dye that you're going to get coverage but not too much that it's going to, as soon as that, the, that Q-tip hits the, hits the surface of the disc, that that dye is going to spread. You know, I think, I think that's kind of what I like about the Q-tips over brushes is that the brush really doesn't absorb the dye. The, it more so sits in between the bristles. So it doesn't really have anywhere to go. You know, if you don't have, if you have the Q-tip saturated, but not, you know, dripping and you hit that disc and you hit it light enough that, you know, some of that, uh, some of that dial soak, soak into the Q-tip instead of onto the disc. What kind of record player do you have for your spin dies? An old beat up one that needs to be replaced. Yeah, I've got, I think this is technically the third one I've had. And I don't really know why I replaced them. 
Uh, so the first one was given, was given to me by someone local who had had a couple that he was getting rid of. And he's like, hey, could you use this? And I was like, you know, I actually could, and that would be great. Nice. Uh, and then the second one, I think I bought it because it was half the size of the first one. So it, sa- it saved me room. And then the third one, I think I thought I was buying a direct drive. I was moving from belt-driven to direct-driven, and I thought I found one for a steal. And I misread the uh, I misread the description, so I just bought another one for no reason. Yeah. If I bought it, I've got to use it. You know, you could do like uh, two spin dies at once. <laughs> that would be impressive. I, I would I would pay to watch somebody do two at a time. Well, um, I might have to do that. <laughs> um, what do you use, if anything, to prop up the disc on the record player? Currently, nothing. Uh, when I'm doing the doing the top of the discs, currently nothing. Uh, from what I guess, just by happenstance, all the record players I've had that little that little nipple in the middle has not been tall enough to get in the way. Other than one or two discs, I think, and I just decided to do something else with those. Uh, but when I flip them over and I want to, you know, put spins on the back, I use a roll of like painter's tape, and that is an awful experience. If you've ever tried this, yeah. Um, so shameless plug, Dave's spin die jig rig. I can send one to you for free if you would like. Oh, absolutely! Great, done. Sweet. Awesome. That's that that saved me a lot of headache. Or that, allegedly. We'll see when Yes. It well, um that was the purpose of that and uh curious to see what you think of that. Yeah, um, that let you know. For the spin dies, besides doing like eccentric rings, what other stuff do you do with the spin dies? Do you do like lollipops? Do you mask anything off? Uh, so I do I do a fair amount of lollipops. Those can I found that I I end up doing the lollipops at one a.m. two a.m. The more complicated the spin die is, that requires you know more focus and more concentration, happens later and later at night. I don't know why, and I don't know why I keep doing it to myself, but that's <laughs> kind of where we're at. Uh, I don't mask off a ton. Uh, I, what I will do is if I'm doing. If I'm doing a lollipop die, I guess this is kind of a little, little secret of mine, uh, where Bobby on T Diddy will will make the vinyl where he doesn't want the die to go. I will center the disc and basically glue mask a circle where I don't want anything to go, so that I don't have to worry about, you know, putting down on the exact spot every time. I can be a little high, and the glue is going to catch that die. What are like for the lollipop spins how do you get it on the same line every time when you're doing the layers Uh, i think the big thing is i don't try to get the one single line like our buddy uh justin over at jl dies you know when he does the ones where it's maybe it's maybe one brush wide that amazes me i don't I don't think I've tried, <laughs> but I think it's, it's, it comes down to timing, you know, just getting yourself in a good spot and then finding that good rhythm 
and not being afraid to stop if you think you're you're not going to hit that point. You know, having that control, I guess. You know, because some some I've seen some people try to go on every spin. They try to drop it down again. Personally, I like to go kind of every other spin. That um, obviously makes sense because I, I I feel like every time it comes around, I was like, oh, I got to hit it. Oh, I got to hit it. Oh, I got to hit it. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any uh, additional tips or tricks that you give people for spin dying in general? Uh, patience is big. You know, like we mentioned, uh, don't have too much die on the on the disc because you don't want to take as much time. I'd rather take twice as much time than have a disc be ruined. How long does it typically take you to do a spin die? Uh, it kind of depends on the complexity of it. If I know the colors I want to use, roughly how I want to lay them out, uh, it could be as quick as 10 minutes for a, what you call a simple spin die, you know, just concentric circles. You know, uh, if I'm fading a lot of colors into each other, you know, that takes a little longer. Lollipops obviously take longer. Uh, there's some that I've done where <clears throat> it's the, the reversed spins where there's maybe three lollipop rings concentric inside each other. And the first one and the second one spin in the opposite direction. And the third one spins the same direction as the first. You know, those take quite a while because I get a little dizzy staring over the record player with the acetone fumes. I have to stand <laughs> up and do a lap and then come back. Uh, and then like the, what does Bobby call them? The tunnelers and the wobblers, those, those ones with the, the offset circles, those can take a while. I feel like spin dying finishes off any other die that you've done and or is just good on their own and it can be either super simple if you do like some simple rings on the edge or it can be super complex like lollipops. So there's so much you can do with spin dying. Um, you can mask it off with the glue to do some cool patterns on there. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Besides the spin dying, what would your second favorite die method be? Okay. So the spin dies are definitely my favorite, but I don't do them the most. Uh, my second favorite would be the clear glue beds, which are what I do the most. So it's a little flip-flop there. Because unfortunately, spin dies don't sell. Unless you're Justin. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, why do you like doing the glue beds uh, so what I like about the glue as opposed to the other kind of lay the bed down mediums that I've tried uh, I feel like you have the most power over how you manipulate the die once it's on so yeah, once you can the blow it around and you can toothpick it and then to me it, I just have more control how do you like to manipulate the beds in general for you? Uh, so it started off very toothpick heavy. You know, I was, I was a big toothpick guy. Uh, and then I was watching a YouTube video. It might have been Nowski dies. And he had the, the flexible tube. And I was like, oh, you can blow into him. He's, he must have an air compressor or something. 
And I commented, and he said, no, it's just a tube. You know, just old-fashioned lung power. So I got, I got a straw, and we were, you know, we started blowing with the straw. And then after, I probably hung on to the straw for about six months. And then I was like, now I know why he's using the tube. You know, my neck was a little sore. So that was that was a that was a fantastic upgrade. And so I'm still stuck with the same the same uh, one foot piece of PVC not not PVC but uh, the clear plastic tubing, you know the airline tubing that I had from the beginning. Uh, I've gotten to the point where I had to tape off one of the sides because I've there's been times where I've not paid attention and maybe I had gotten too close to the glue on the previous bed and I put it down and picked it up and glue does not taste good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess I never thought about that before, but yeah, <laughs> got to be careful what end you blow on. Yeah. It's not very tasty. You know, I don't, I think they purposely make it not tasteful for uh, kids to not eat the glue. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that makes sense. You would think as an adult, I would know not to stick the glue in my mouth, but apparently I'm a slow learner. Hey, it happens. And, that's how you learn to make mistakes. You eat glue. <laughs> yeah. Um, for your glue beds, do you use heat? For the glue beds, I do not. I don't. Every once in a while, if I think I've got, if I'm trying to put a lot of pink on a disc, you know, specifically the the neon cerise, I will put that put that disc under heat for about a half hour, but then I'll let it let it have its it's total sit time without the heat as if I didn't use the heat. But How long that, do you let the disc set for? Uh, so the way my schedule usually works is I'll have a, day, a night of the week that I'm dying. And then usually I can pull the next day. So my star esque plastics are all on like a 24 hour timer. And then uh, the the harder premium plastics usually uh, go for forty eight because it's it's just easy. You know, I, I don't I don't have a ton of discs that I'm trying to pump out, so you know, just it works with the schedule. You know, I come in on Monday, do some dyes. Tuesday, I can pull them, rinse out the rinse out the ultra stars, and put in some new ones. So why do you let them sit? for that long in my head it's for so so long why do you let them sit for so like i said a lot of it is driven by my schedule mm. whereas i'm sure you could get away with 12 or 18 hours without heat i know without heat dave <laughs> uh without heat to get kind of the same effect but I've never had an issue at 24 hours. You know, have I don't you, use anything, uh, any of the, the, the definition. Yeah, I was going to say, have you noticed any blurring or streaking with letting it sit that long? No. Uh, I think Jory made a good point a couple episodes back. He said kind of once it's, once it's laid down, it's in. And it doesn't really change. So that's, you know, that I've noticed a very similar thing. The only streaking I've ever noticed is if you have like a really domey disc and you try to roll it in. And a lot of times black is really the, the color that gets you. 
it'll kind of streak out towards the side and almost look like a shaving cream uh, burst. You know, if you're not being careful enough. Gotcha. Um, and speaking of discs, what is your favorite discs and or plastic to dye? That's a good one. There's there's so many good plastics out there to dye. I would say if you're not thinking about the long term, just about how the plastic takes the dye, K1 has to be the top of the list. But if you add in the factors like how quickly they fade and how fucking hard it is to get that release agent off of them. I could think of a couple others that are starting to jump that. I just did the, the new Discmania S-Line plastic last week and that was actually really nice. It came out really well. You know, I obviously can't tell uh, how well the dye is going to stay. You know, we'll revisit that in a year or so and see where that's at. But that one's nice. I do really enjoy uh, like the chameleon. And I think in Discmania it's meta. You know, anything that's got that color shift, you know, because it adds like another dimension, some more depth into the dye. And it's 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 a harder premium plastic, you know, so those usually hold much longer and kind of keep the definition a little longer before it starts to fade and get fuzzy. So if you had to pick I know it's a favorite is hard to pick, but if you had to pick one plastic to die for the rest of your life what would it be Ooh, for the rest of my life now you're trying to get me yes the retailer in me says star plastic because more people throw in but i might lean towards esp interesting if I had to pick one for the rest, because it's a weird plastic. I've had people put some dyes on some plastics and show the disc, and beforehand I'm thinking there's no way that's going to stick. There's no way you're going to put that yellow on that on that disc, and it's going to be yellow when you take it out. And I'll be damned. I was wrong. You know, so there's a little bit of magic baked into that ESP plastic. Yeah, it's magical. Have you noticed any major fading with ESP plastic? Because I've dyed, I think, like two ESP plastic discs, and I did a hot dip on them. And like uh, six months or a year later, the black was starting to start pretty faded. Uh, so I haven't done many stencils, something that's got a hot dip on on ESP. So I can't speak to like a, a large mass of black. But I will say that what I've done as far as glue beds hasn't been below kind of the other plastics similar to it. What is your favorite dye accessory? Well, I feel like the default would have to be the record player. But I'm going to try to come up with a good kind of honorable mention that nobody's thinking of. I have, I found these little, because uh, most people use either the glass kind of droppers or they get the, the plastic pipettes 
the standard kind of, I think they're five mil sizes. Well, I found some little itty bitty ones that are, you know, the, the big ones this long and the little ones like this and the bulb is only kind of this wide and they come to like super, super fine points. And I've found that if you use those and you're careful enough that you can kind of mitigate some of the spread that you get when the die hits the bed because there's a smaller drop. That is... So those have um, come in pretty clutch. That is fascinating. You might have to send me a link to those so I can check them out. Yeah, definitely. If I can find it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm assuming you like drop those damn near the bed. You don't like... Pretty close, like, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Um, back to the glue beds. Are there any specific colors that you've noticed that spread more than others when you put it on the bed? Yes. Uh, so come to think of it, the I've noticed Caribbean likes to spread a little more, which is interesting also because it's one that you got to kind of lay on a little thick. A couple, couple more layers and then it spreads a little more and a little more. I had some issues for a little while with pink worm dip. And I had never, never had an issue with any worm dip spreading too far. Usually they all get to be about the same size. You know, in worm dip, you, you get more of the issue with like that cakey texture that they get if you put too much. But I don't know if it was just the pink that I had, but it was just running for the hills. Interesting. Um, I don't think I've ever used worm dip on the glue bed yet. I do. I do. Uh, for certain colors that I that I can't quite mix, you know, uh, pro tip here is Spike It makes a green called Junebug. And it is by far the best green I've ever seen. I love it. Nice. And I haven't used Spike It. Just only worm dip. Got to get some of that now, too. <laughs> You're costing me money. Um, what inspires you for your creations? So it could be... Uh, I, I follow a lot of art pages that aren't disc-related. You know, a lot of different fluid art-type pages you know, artists. So sometimes I'll see that with cells. You know, I, don't, I don't do a, a ton of the flow trawl beds, but I'll see kind of the way the, sh the cells are structured and more so, again, going back to the method of how they laid it down and kind of understanding the color or how, the, how they wanted to get the color to turn out versus how they laid it down. And sometimes I'll kind of apply that to a blue bed or it could be something super simple. Like I could see uh, I think I saw somebody had laid their sweatshirt in the grass one time and just the kind of the way, the way that the arms kind of fell and the body of the jacket was on the grass. I was like, Oh, that'd be a cool, that'd be a cool design, a composition on a disc and you know, the green with the blue. It's always good to draw inspiration from other art forms. Um, cause that can definitely inspire you to think of something you normally wouldn't have think thought. Think to dove. <laughs> um, 
Where do you want to take your disc dying journey going forward? Is there anything that you want to experiment with? Anything that you want to try or do differently? Yes, to all of those, I guess. Uh, my goal is to be able to have some time to be the first person to come up with something. I don't know what it is yet, but I want to be the guy that comes up with something. But I want it to be, I want it to be an accident too. I don't want it to be intentional. Uh, so I don't really know how I'm going to marry those two <laughs> and have some success. But you know, the, the first guy that did the, the more structured cells or there's the first person that did it X or Y, you know, you, I don't necessarily want to get famous from it, but just to know that, that there wasn't something I was following to come up with what I came up with. I'm sure that's a whole mess that made a lot more sense in my brain. No, I mean, it, it makes sense. And, um, you know, disc dying is definitely exploded since COVID and a lot of new different styles of techniques have come out, but mm -hmm. you know, the different styles and techniques that are out there that haven't been discovered yet, I think right. are limitless. So you have a chance. Yeah. I mean, the big thing that comes to mind is it's, it's not even a disc die, but I saw Jay Kennedy die up some skateboard wheels and that was genius. Yes. And so my brain went to what other plastics will accept, you know, this fabric die that we use that we like to call disc die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, I'll be looking out for your name of like, hey, check out this new dye method by Spike Hydra Dyes. I'm like, oh, all right, sweet. Um, yeah, you heard it here first. Yes. <laughs> Whatever it is, you did it. Um, what uh, fail stories do you have for anything that kind of sticks out to you as uh, a fail story? Uh, so on more than one occasion, I've been doing a spin die and sneezed. <laughs> That's happened. So those end up either going in my bag or get donated to a to a junior, you know, an up and coming junior that doesn't really care that it's got a a hiccup on it. Uh, I dropped a an entire container of black dye in my kitchen because that's where I work from is half of my kitchen. Yeah. Uh, do you rent? Nope. Oh, okay. Nope. Well, some I good, but, uh, how did that turn out? Uh, not so great <laughs> because my kitchen cabinets are white. Oh boy. Yeah. So it looks like there is a Dalmatian in my kitchen all the time. <laughs> uh, what kind of countertops do you have? Uh, I've got like a black solid surface, so it's super helpful with the dyeing as long as the dye stays on the countertop. Mm. You know, as long as it stays on there, I can basically clean up whatever I need to. And please don't ever bring a black light into my kitchen. <laughs> uh, you know how you're saying, you know, what dye can take to other stuff? Well, you came up with a new method of cabinet dyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me tell you. that was, uh, I had some help from one of my cats on that one. <laughs> oh man. 
that's my worst fear is um, because I do the hot dipping, spilling that hot dip because I've spilled some hot dip too. But the hot dip, luckily for me, I was able to clean it up fast enough that it didn't take. Hmm. But the container that I dropped was straight acetone and black. So by the time it left the container, it was already stuck to whatever surface. Yeah. Um, because it's not like paint where you can try to get it off the dye kind of, you know, dyes, whatever it's on. 100%. (laughs) Um, so do you do commissions? And if so, what has been your most memorable commission that you've done so far? Uh, so I do do commissions and I I haven't gotten any weird shit like you've asked before. Like I, some, some people have definitely got some odd ones, but I've had multiple people ask me to make a disc for them to propose to their spouse. Hmm. So that's cool. The yeah. fact that I get to be part of that, uh, that moment, you know, there's been a lot kind of centered around weddings that have been my memorable ones, I guess. You know, I've had a guy, a local guy here ask me to make a, a whole bunch of discs for all his groomsmen. You know, so that was his groomsmen gifts. Uh, there was somebody that was going to a wedding and the couple were, they were a disc golf couple. So I did one for each of them. And then I think I've done three or four different proposal discs. Wow. That's crazy. One that that's disc golf is that popular and people love it that much to propose with. Um, yeah. But it's cool to do that. Like you said, to be, you're basically part of their life. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a cool feeling that that they picked you that they picked disc golf like you said at first that disc golf was that important to them and that they picked you as an artist specifically. You know, it's you know kind of a pretty high honor for that. Absolutely. Um, do you like to keep an inventory of discs, or do you kind of die on demand? Uh, I do have an inventory for when I vend, and we happen to be in my home office slash home gym slash die storage. And over there somewhere, those containers, those are what I have usually for stock uh, to take with me to different tournaments, you know, and to keep keep on my Etsy store, you know, the, the different online, you know, platforms I sell from. So do you vend at a lot of events slash tournaments? Uh, not a ton only because I haven't had a lot of time. Uh, so really my, my vending radius is kind of a two and a half hour, three hour drive. So being in the middle of Georgia, that kind of, it's a little tough to get to places, but, uh, I'm kind of aiming for about between one and two dozen this year to vend at. What has been your experiencing, uh, vending so far? It's interesting. It's interesting. So I started obviously with the guy that just showed up with the table, nothing marked. You know, I just had a a beat up white table that folded out because it was quick enough for me to put everything back in the car, you know, after lunch so we can go out and play because I can, as much as I've tried, I can't be the guy that shows up just to vend. Mm. You know, my thing is if I'm going to go out of town, I want to go and I want to play and I want to vend. I I want it all. I'm very green. Yes. But it's been it's been fun, you know. Getting to interact with people is cool. They come over and they see, yeah. You know, like when disc dying before it exploded, 
you know, I had, I had already been vending at some local tournaments and stuff. And people were like, wow, you can do this. You know, it hadn't really made it as far into the general public yet. So it was kind of cool to be spreading it that way. You know, a little more in person. You know, people can pick up the discs and look and be like, oh, it was I saw something like this online, but I thought it was kind of filtered or, you know, printed. So that's pretty cool. And you can have conversations with people about the techniques and the different discs. And I like, I like talking to people about how discs fly. And then every once in a while, somebody comes up who knows me, you know, recognizes the logo. Uh, and that's always cool, getting the recognition. Uh, I played at a tournament down in Savannah uh, earlier this year. <clears throat> and there was a guy on my card on the second round. And we finished up. And he comes over and he's like whispering to me. He says, hey, uh, you know, I didn't want it to mess with you during the round. But I, you had you had you did this maiden for me a couple months ago, you know. So it was it was cool that he recognized me without me even saying anything. So just kind of the, the notoriety isn't what I like, but just the fact that people remember you. That's awesome. Um, when was the the first event that you vended at? Uh, so the very first one was a couple years ago. And it was, I say vended, but it was more, we had, we hold a charity, charity tournament here every year uh, for a special Olympic sailing program that we have at the local course because the, the course is on a park that's got a lake. You know, so every year we hold a, a charity tournament for the special Olympic sailing program. And uh, that was the first thing I vended at was that tournament. And it gets a pretty good showing for a, for a charity event in a smaller town. You know, so there were, there were a hundred people there. You know, it didn't sell a whole lot, you know, because people were there. They wanted to donate for for the cause, which I, I completely understood. You know, I was cool with that. But just the exposure was nice. You know, again, talking to a lot of people. That was a lot of time. That was the first time a lot of the locals had kind of seen the work that I did. Because I would tell people that I died discs. But I wasn't quite ready for them to see them yet. If you would have to give any tips or advice for dyers vending at events, do you have anything for them? Yeah. Uh, so presentation helps a lot. I've noticed a lot more people have talked to me since I've had like a tent set up and, you know, getting, having something that people can see to draw them in, you know, whether it's a banner. Uh, I think Chris, Daddy Mac mentioned having a branded 10 by 10. Uh, that's kind of out of my tax bracket, but you know, something, a, a vinyl sign and just have a nice setup because that's, you know, people, people are drawn in by what they see first. You know, they're not going to come to the table if they don't think there's anything they're going to like there. You know, so that's going to get them there. And then from there, just kind of be personable and don't be a dick. It's kind of the way, is the kind of the way I like to see it. You know, people are going to come over and they're going to be curious and there's going to be people that are going to come over with they don't really have an intent to buy anything. You know, they're just killing some time between rounds looking. And I mean, to me, I'm flattered if somebody wants to come to the table and look at what I've done, you know, so I appreciate that. So I, I try to treat everybody with the same respect, whether I think they're going to buy, you know, clean me out or whether they're just here to say hi, you know, so have a good presentation and be, you know, just kind of be yourself unless you're a dick and then don't be yourself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. 
Um, and again, like I mentioned before, good life advice. Don't be a dick. So I really do like your logo. How did you come up or settle on the name with Spike Heiser Dies? And how did you come up with that logo? So it's kind of funny. The, I, I technically started telling you the story about where the name came from. When I started playing disc golf, all I had was that wraith. So all I could throw was basically a spike hyzer. You know, I didn't understand form mechan- form and mechanics and you know release and anhyzer and and hyzer and all that fun stuff. So everything I threw was like a banana. And I got good at throwing that banana. You know, it got to the point where I could I could go out and I could throw I could out throw people with a spike hyzer. <laughs> not not doing it intentionally, knowing that it would upset them when I outdrove somebody that was had much better form than me. You know, it was just how I learned, and it was so ingrained in how I played that when I, I took up the disc dying, it was it just seemed only natural. You know that it kind of rolled over into the logo and you know into the name, and then I've got a buddy here that uh. I kind of gave him an idea of what I wanted. You know, the only thing that I really had was I wanted to have the that visual of a spike hyzer. You know, and I had drawn up a sketch originally, but like I said, I have no artistic talent as far as physically. So that drawing never even made it into the digital world because I don't want there to be evidence of that on the internet. <laughs> he kind of took that and ran with it, and then it, it turned into that uh, that kind of rainbow spill you know, with the disc coming down, being the, being the eye and the spike. Yeah. No, again, it's a great logo. And, um, I like your name better now that I know the meaning behind it. That's awesome. Thanks. Thanks. I, th- I thought it was, uh, clever. Yes. Glad to um, know that I'm not just tooting my own. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's a good idea. Surprisingly. No. <laughs> hey, gotta have one every once in a while. Yes. If you were to start disc dying now, is there anything that you would do differently knowing what you know now? I think for the most part, I would keep it the same because I think it, learning is important. Uh, I think there's a little too much, you know, hot, hot take here. Uh, I think there's a little too much people wanting instant gratification from the dies now. You know, I've been, I've died three discs and they don't look like they belong hung on a wall. You know, screw this. Uh, sorry, some of us put in untold amounts of dollars and time to get to where we were to then make a video for you to be able to do it. I'm not one of those video guys because I'm usually a behind the camera kind of guy. But, you know, so I, th- I think it, the, the practice and the learning and kind of a deeper understanding of why things happen the way they do was important, but also fuck lotion beds. <laughs> I would have skipped those completely. Had I known they were going to be as awful as they were, I would have skipped it and maybe revisited it later, like way down the road to maybe not give myself such a, a bad first impression. Because as you can tell, I'm still a little jaded by that. Yeah. Um, I feel your sentiments exactly with uh, me as well. I never had good success with lotion. Um, I, 
either lotion doesn't like me or I'm just bad at it, but it was never saturated and I always had a shit ton of air bubbles. Yeah, I never really had the air bubbles as much. And I would get saturation okay. You know, it got to the, the first one didn't saturate at all. The first one, it looked like I died a base plastic disc. It was it was bad. It was bad. But the second one had a lot of color. But my issue was I couldn't get it to do what I wanted it to do. And I think that was kind of the same with the shaving cream. Either you put the powder on, and it's really tough to manipulate the powder once it's there. Or you're one of those assholes that use RIT, and you droppered it on, and then it's just as tough to move it. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, the lotion just didn't do it for me. And I didn't know what I didn't know. Uh-huh. You know, so it wasn't until I started using the glue that I realized that that's what I was looking for. Yeah. No, I, I feel like once I did the clear glue, it's like, okay, I've leveled up now. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't do lotion beds, but I do lotion painting. Uh, like lotion topping? Yeah, I yeah. will do that. Uh, I will say that I had not used detergent until I saw the episode that you did with Kateri. And I was like, holy shit, like I could do this faster. Like kind of your sentiment towards glue beds. Mm-hmm. But I'm that way with lotion topping. I'm like, I really don't want to let this sit for, for 24 hours. Like I want to put it on there and I want it to be on there. Yes. Um, I've tried detergent. I mean, for the the detergent and lotion painting, in my mind, it's the same thing. You can get the saturation with lotion painting just as fast or really fast as well um just gotta use heat see i use i i've used heat before and i guess it's just the process i haven't perfected the process of it because the it dries out on me the lotion mm-hmm. dries out yeah you know i don't really have a tr- you know what is that the little greenhouse setup that some people have you know where they can keep the moisture trapped in yes you know for me it's it's very much like my other dyes set it and forget it you know i'll Put it in a pie tin, put the put the lotion where it needs to go, and cover it with some tin foil, and just leave it until tomorrow. Yeah. Well, um, do you have any tips or tricks for disc dyeing for either beginners or seasoned veterans out there? Uh, so for the beginners, yeah, don't be afraid to try something. Uh, don't be afraid to mess up. Yeah, you know, because there's a lot of there's a lot of great work out there, you know. So people can feel maybe a little intimidated trying to start. You know, when I when we started, you know, there wasn't as many crazy pieces as there are now, but there also wasn't as much information. So it was a give and a take. Now there's a whole lot more tutorials, but there's also a whole lot more people making great dies so there's a little, little bit added pressure you know and I would say for the seasoned guys don't be afraid to step outside of your comfort zone you know because there's there's some people that are known for I do this and there's nothing wrong with that having a, having a signature style is great uh, sometimes I wish I had one But knowing 
that you can do something else is kind of kind of enlightening. Trying another thing, and it, it might not work out at first, but just being able to to branch out, I think, is is important. Um, totally agree. And when you said, mentioned the beginner disc dyer, um, I don't know if I can imagine starting disc dyeing like right now, um, because like you said, you're seeing all these amazing dyes. Then you do yours and you're like, why doesn't it look like that? Well, those dyers had time to develop their skills, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's like the, uh, social media with all these influencers and their, their fake lies of everything. So perfect. Um, (laughs) but yeah, um, definitely for anybody that's beginning, don't get frustrated for what you're seeing because a lot of time and effort was put into where that person got. Oh yeah. And I mean, there's, there's people that are, they'll, they'll put out their first die and it doesn't look exactly like the tutorial, but if you compare it to my first die, you know, it's still leagues beyond what my first one looked like. Yeah. You know, and one more thing to add in for kind of the beginners is please, please look up a color wheel. Understanding some basic color theory gets you so far. Yeah. If not, well, I hope you like the color brown. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, I hope you learned some dying secret tips from Brandon because I know I have. But now we're going to get to know him more on a personal level. So the next section that I have is your favorite fave. What is your favorite band or song? Okay. So... I may be a little weird in that growing up, I didn't listen to a whole lot of music. It didn't really have an influence on my life until you know, I was probably 10 years old. You know, and I had gotten a stereo for my birthday and there was a song on the first cassette that I popped in there. Uh, and it's kryptonite by three doors down. And to this day, like I don't listen to it much now, but I can tell you it's my favorite song because it got me into music. I don't know how long it would be otherwise that I would have been to get to that point. That That is awesome. Um, do you have a, a current favorite band nowadays or genre? Uh, I listen to a good bit of stuff. Uh, the way I like to describe it is I listen to anything where I can understand the words. Hmm. Uh, so, so like no growly death metal or no anything. growly death metal, no like mumbly gangster rap, uh, no K-pop. <laughs> right I listen to I, a lot of people rag on country, but I do listen to country music. Yeah, I am in Georgia, so I'm kind of forced to a certain extent. <laughs> listen to it before I came down here. Yeah. Uh, but a good amount of country, good amount of rock. Right on. Makes sense. I mean, there is some good country music, I guess, but yeah. Not so much now. No. Um, old stuff. That's good stuff. And Chris Stapleton. Right. What is your favorite food? 
Uh, so I cannot bring myself to say pizza. But it's pizza. <laughs> Almost. Uh, okay. So I grew up in New Jersey. Hmm. You know, kind of land of the pizza. Mm-hmm. You know, but in general, I have to say the Italian genre. You know, Italian-American food specifically, because I've been to Italy and the, the Italian food tastes way different hmm. over in Italy. Okay. But Italian-American food is my jam. You know, <clears throat> I love a good plate of spaghetti. You know, pizza, obviously great. You know, and there's there's nothing that beats walking into a hole-in-the-wall deli in New York. You know, and getting the sandwich you didn't know you needed. Nice. Yeah. Um, I, I visited New York once and yeah, I went to the sandwich shop that was a whole in all like one of the best sandwiches that I had. Exactly. Um, what is your favorite beverage? Uh, so unfortunately I am a big soda guy, huge fan of Pepsi. Sorry to all you Coke drinkers, but you know, you're probably also, also mouth breathers. <laughs> uh yeah i mean i'm not brand loyal to either pepsi or coke but uh okay so i said what is what do you call that drink in your land what do you mean like the the fizzy carbonated sugary substance we're talking about yes soda okay soda right is do they say that in Georgia or is that from uh, your native land? In New Jersey, it's it's soda. Okay. Uh, down in Georgia, they call everything Coke. Yeah. Everything's yeah. Coke. Can I have a Coke Pepsi? Like what? <laughs> They'll just, I've gotten to the point where I ask for Coke because nobody has Pepsi down here. Huh. Fascinating. And they'll be like, is Pepsi okay? And I was like, you're my favorite person today. <laughs> um, I'm also fascinated that uh, your native land said, uh, says soda. Because I know uh, the part of Wisconsin where I'm from, we say soda, but like an hour or two out, everybody says pop. But yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I've, I've heard pop a few times. Uh, some some of the old timers have called it cola. Mm. Yeah. But it's definitely interesting seeing the uh, the vernacular of yes. a word in a different, uh, different area of the country. Okay, so I, I'm also curious on vernaculars. Do you say bubbler or water fountain? Water fountain. Hmm. Water fountain. Pretty, pretty easy. Uh, through work, I've started calling it a water cooler because that's what some uh, some of the engineers call it. You know, I think water cooler. I think you know when you have to press the tab, mm-hmm. you know, to get the water out of the the ten gallon, ten gallon container. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a drink water fountain or a drinking fountain for me. When I think of water fountain, I think of like a, an art sculpture with a yeah, in water a park. coming up. Yeah, it's not something you drink out of. It's a, it's something you look at. Well, if I, I, you, you say you guys use bubbler. Yes. I hear bubbler, and I think the little uh, like the filter on a fish tank <laughs> bubbles. I, fair, fair. <laughs> All right, <laughs> moving on. So besides disc golf and disc dying, what other hobbies do you have? Uh, so between disc golf and work, it takes up a lot of my time. Uh, I'm also an avid martial artist. I've been doing that uh, since I was four years old. 
Yep. Uh, my fir- the first profession that I ever wanted was to be a Power Ranger. <laughs> Take that for what you will. You know, that's, I mean, I wanted to be a Power Ranger too, so there's that. But you took it to the next level and actually became a martial artist. Yeah, got close, you know, started training at four, got my black belt at 10. Wow. And then was basically teaching from 10 until now for the most part. So it's been, it's, it's become a lifestyle more than a hobby. That's awesome. You know, so that's, yeah, I wouldn't be where I was without it. What, um, what does the martial arts mean to you? Uh, like I said, it's a lifestyle. It started off with kind of self-confidence. Hmm. You know, I was a super shy kid. You know, I would walk into a room and I'd always be looking at the ground. You know, didn't, didn't like making eye contact with anybody. You know, so it just helped me understand, you know, accepting yourself, you know, and understanding that it's okay to be good at some things. It's okay to not be good at other things. You know, but that's kind of what makes you human, <clears throat> you know, and then the discipline that, that kind of brought it a little, it gave me a sense of consistency and kind of rigid, rigidity as I grew up. It was a nice thing to fall back on. That's awesome that it had that, uh, such a good positive, um, positive outlook, positive outcome on your life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, well, if anybody tries to like steal one of your discs while you're vending, you can kick their ass. Or if someone pisses <laughs> you off, you can, or if they're being a dick, you can kick their ass. Or if I ever get to play pro and a and a and a certain somebody has an issue with the time violation. <laughs> um, do you have any other hobbies? Ah, uh, hanging out with my dogs. Okay, yeah. that's a big okay. one. What kind of dogs do you have? I've got two Siberian Huskies and a Black Lab. All right. Well, they must keep you very active. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Um, Yeah, they're very fluffy, but they have a lot of energy. Yeah, tons of exercise. And, I mean, it's it's a double-edged sword. Do I want to get up and walk them every day for limitless amounts of distance? No. But... Am I also getting the exercise? Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, that's great that you're actually exercising your dogs because I know a lot of people are like, I'm just going to sleep in. <laughs> yeah. Side um, note, though, Huskies are not great disc golf dogs. Why do you say that? Because they like to run after anything and everything. Mm. It could be a disc. It could be a squirrel. It could be <laughs> a leaf that blew in a direction that they weren't expecting. <laughs> Uh, do they chew your discs at all? One of them does. Uh, uh, one of them has gotten quite a few putters of mine. <laughs> well, luckily they're cute and adorable and unconditional. Yeah, yeah. They, may, they make up for it. Yes. Um, what do you do for a living? I know you kind of mentioned it, but what, what specifically do you do? I'm an architect. What got you into doing that? Uh, so my dad is a residential contractor. Okay. So growing up, you know, I would come by, my mom might've brought us by a job, a job site, you know, to meet him at lunch or, you know, we'd swing by after work cause he forgot something there. Or he wanted to check with a guy. 
you know, I remember at a very young age running through, you know, the kind of bare bones of a house, you know, the studs are up, there's no drywall, you know, so it kind of imprinted on me young, you know, and I was like, oh, I want to work with my dad when I grow up. Well, I grew up a little bit and got to do some construction over the summers and said, fuck that shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, summertime, you know, the 10, 12 hour days every day. You know, I, I'm very prone to sunburn. Not great. Wouldn't recommend. So I kind of tried to think what was the, what was the way to stay in the field and not have to be in the field. And so architecture seemed like the way to go. I get to design the building and say, here, you put it together. Yeah, I give mad props to the skilled trades because I've, I've done that for a little bit. And um, it is good physical exercise and, and labor and decent pay. But I much rather be behind a desk. True, true. Yeah. I will say if anybody ever wants to shit on, you know, skilled trades, I will pay you, you know, to lay some brick. Yes. Oh man, um, and there's not enough skilled labor out there right now. That's that's for sure. And um, yeah, it does definitely take a toll on your body, though, if you do it for a career. Oh yeah, yeah. I attribute that to why I wake up after a round of disc golf and don't want to get out of bed. <laughs> it's the construction. Uh, it wasn't me getting old. Yes. Uh, um. So the next section is. If you had to pick three discs to play any course for the rest of your life, what would those three discs be? Man, I got to say, out of all the questions that you've asked on all the episodes that I've seen of the podcast since its inception, this one has scared me the most. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So if it's for the rest of my life and I don't know what the courses are I'm going to play. See, my big thing is... I love to just rip on a drive. You know, so the, the smart player in me would say, you don't need a distance driver. But that that kid in me that picked up that Wraith <laughs> says we need a distance driver. Yeah. So I would think I would have to take the Royal Grace. Yeah, that one's been a been a pretty big staple in the bag although this new s line dd3 has been pretty sweet and so ask me again in two weeks and i might change my mind well this is your permanent record whatever you say here now it sticks forever all right all right so we're gonna go with the grace <laughs> all right yeah because that's a, it's a pretty pretty great driver for backhand and for forehand you know, i don't have a super strong forehand yeah from some elbow injuries for some from some other sports so the forehand comes out when it has to uh, I think I would also go with an, the, the S-Line MD1. That one's been pretty clutch. And they're I'm assuming when they start making them, they'll be a whole lot easier to find now that Simon's not with this mania anymore. And then I think I would have to go with my 300A2. Because I could putt with it if I need to. Because I think, you know, if I only get three discs, bringing a dedicated putting putter seems like a waste to me. You know, but I love having a disc like a rip hard and flat and know it's not going to turn over on me. And I think three of my five aces have been with A2s. 
Oh, wow. Um, so, pardon my ignorance, what brand is an A2? Can I say it out loud? You can say whatever you want. Prodigy! <laughs> okay, yeah. that's, pro- that's probably why I haven't heard of that, because it's an inferior brand. <laughs> it's the only one I'll throw. The only Prodigy mm-hmm. disc I throw. And the only reason I throw it, not to directly shit on Prodigy, but, you know, I would throw a zone or I would throw a Toro, I guess, is in of his new comparison. But the, the A2 is more stable and it's more shallow, hmm. which is what I like. If I could find something that did exactly what it did with the shape that it had, I wouldn't throw an A2. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what, what are the numbers on the A2? Uh, I think it's marked as like a 4204, maybe. Hmm. Maybe 4203, 4303. It's, it's, it's right in that overstable, that overstable uh, approach disc because people don't want to call it a putter. Gotcha. Well, I mean, the numbers are made up anyway, so what yeah. does it matter? True. All right. Well, you can only use those discs from now on. Goodbye, bag. <laughs> <laughs> Next section, the perfect hole. Um, what has been your favorite course slash hole that you've played so far? Uh, so I haven't played a ton of different courses, but there's a course in general up near me. That's about an hour from me. Uh, it's called the Tracks. It's a new, Innova just put it in like two years ago. So it's a new course. It's been maintained. It's got some, some it's a tight wooded course. But it's pretty immaculate in the way it's been maintained. You know, it makes you play smart, but you'll have a 500-foot par 4 in the woods, but actually have a fair way to throw on. You know, so that's kind of nice. But I also haven't played any of the the big notable courses. Do you have any... Hornet's Nest. Hornet's Nest is cool, but it's not my favorite. Do you have any courses that are on your bucket list that you want to play? There's definitely some on my bucket list uh i think it would be cool to go and play uh eagles crossing you know just because it's it's so unique you know about what it what it is and what it was made for it was designed to be a disc golf course it wasn't a park that was there that had a disc golf course retrofitted but i'm gonna have to go with everybody else and say i need to play maple hill Hmm. yeah um now i need to play maple hill damn it someday plus simon is over there doesn't he (laughs) for now yes i'm I'm sure he's gonna stay there a little longer now yeah um it's not a bad course to have in your backyard per se no no yeah (laughs) There, there could definitely be worse worse courses yes uh, and speaking of pro players, if you had to pick one pro player to play around with and hang out with, who would it be and why? So again, I feel like I'm given the popular answer, but it, it would have to be Simon. Okay, cool. Great. I love you. So, yeah, I've talked to Simon a couple times. Yeah, I've done some dice. Uh, I did the, uh, the Elsa and Anna, the Frozen theme disc that he had on his Instagram a couple weeks ago. I did that for him. You know, so I know him, you know, I've talked to him a little bit through the elbow injury that he had because I had something similar 
and tried to see if there was there was some breakthrough that I didn't know about as far as some some rehab for it because obviously he's on another level with you know it it made him his money mm-hmm. for the most part. But I mean, he also loves to shoot pool. You know, that's something I've done. You know, I, I'm sure I can get my ass kicked at darts a couple times before I get frustrated. Yeah, I just he just seems like a cool dude to hang out with. Awesome. Yeah. No. Um, it's a great choice now that he's with MVP. So, like your answer. <laughs> yeah. Not biased or anything. All right. Well, now we got to know Brandon a little bit better. Um, again, learn some more stuff about him. But he will also be raffling off a disc. So you can get one of his awesome die discs for as little as $1. So 100% of the proceeds will go to him. So if you want to help support him and his dying habit and adventure and just you know making sure he continues dying, give him some money. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, head to dyersguild.co slash raffled to find this raffle. The raffle will go live when this podcast goes live and it'll be live for two weeks. So as little as one little measly dollar, you can get this awesome blue dyed disc, but more importantly, helping support a fellow dyer. So again, head to dyersguild.co slash raffle to get entered today. Again, Brandon, thank you for being on this little podcast of ours here. Um, I enjoyed it, learned a lot, and um, yes, thanks for being on. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. Uh, thanks for having me. It's, it's interesting to be on this side of the microphone. Yes. Um, so I'm happy to I join like, the club. I like being behind the camera and not in front of it, so I, I feel you. Yeah. All right, guys, until next time, we will talk to you later. Bye. See you guys.